Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Unhedged. I'm your host, Frank Trois, and I'm really looking forward to this week's broadcast. Each week, we try to present you with the most diverse group of panelists and speakers that one can find anywhere. These range from theologians to portfolio managers, hedge fund managers, politicians, you name it. If they've written a book, we're going to have them on air talking about it. And by the way, we're not going to follow a scripted, organized discussion, but rather have a free-form discussion so that we can talk about the things that are top of mind, and more importantly, ask the questions that you would probably have asked yourself. Feel free to recommend the show to friends and colleagues, and with that, let's get on with this week's edition of Unhedged. Today's broadcast is brought to you today by Oracle. Oracle helps customers develop roadmaps, migrate to the cloud, and take advantage of emerging technologies from any point. These include new cloud deployments, on-prem environments, and hybrid implementations. Oracle's approach makes it easy for companies to get started in the cloud and even easier to expand as business grows. For more information, go to sohocap.com unhedged, and we can provide free cloud credits to our listeners. This is Frank Trois from Singapore, and today I am graced and blessed with a very, very dear friend, uh, Father Randall Day from San Inez, California. Father, how are you today? I am well. Thank you for having me. It's great to hear your voice. Great to talk with you. Yeah, very much. So. You know, it's interesting when I was preparing my notes for for today and 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 for our listeners. Um, one of the things, and, and do you mind, uh, what would you prefer I call you? Father Randall? Randall? How would you, uh, for our listeners, how would you like for me to refer to you as? Well, I'm, I'm perpetually uh, preferring to be called Randall, and I'm not really one to um, enjoy titles and uh, special, special honorifics. So, um, so, so Randall, uh, Father Randall, uh, both work. Okay, good. good. I'm sure I'll probably use both interchangeably. And and you know, it's interesting. Just just to put this in context, I, I for our listeners' benefit, um, and uh, Father Randall, I'll let you also give them some background on on the parish in Santa Inez. But but one thing I've always enjoyed in our 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 what I'll call both our personal and professional relationship has been the the balance. Uh, that that you've had, and and I could also sympathize with in in as a you know both of us were were city guys and 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 moved to this bucolic existence in Santa Inez, and uh, I was always I always viewed you as a kindred spirit when you and Bill moved out to uh, to California, and and uh, you know just out of curiosity, what was that transition like for, for for you? I mean, coming from the city to go to Santa Inez, I mean that's almost in some respects uh, a time warp, but at the same time it's very endearing. Yeah, I mean, there were a bunch of different um, elements to it, and I've been here for 11 years now, so there's both um, what it was when I first got here and what it is now. Um, when we first got here, we were moving from a place where the density was around 1,700 people per square mile, and the density here uh, was, and I, I'd have to say I think probably still is, 17 people per square mile. It's amazing. Um, and that probably that probably sounds like a something uh, incredible for listeners in other urban areas, but um, so so there was a little bit of shock uh, to realize that there's room for things. And like um, the thing that most amazed me was I could drive someplace, go to the you know just do some shopping, go to the grocery store, go to the pharmacy, and and I could just 
parks. I, I mean, just, you drive <laughs> and you drive right into a parking place and you get out yeah. of your car. And I, it was stunning to me because where I was living in Bergen County, New Jersey, which is just four miles from Manhattan. And, um, you know, it would be, oh, you know, 15 minutes always looking for a place to park, even if there was a parking lot. I oh, mean, yeah. You know, just, yeah. You know, that that was just part of life. And um, um, I guess the other thing I'd say is that over time, and I had a great experience. I love New Jersey, Bergen County, northern New Jersey. Um, I love New York City and being able to just, you know, drive in for a movie or whatever. Um, though I guess these days, you know, with the uh, tolls to drive into Manhattan, it's a little different story than it was even – 10 years ago, but, um, and people, you know, people always talk about, you know, as if people around New York city are not friendly or whatever, but, um, I think what happens in New York city and that whole metro area and a lot of other metro areas is that when they are so crowded, it's hard for people to do any basic things. So they're always in a little bit of a rush, you know, so it's hard Mm -hmm. to take time to just chat with people. Whereas, here, um, you know, you, everybody chats. I mean, it's sort of an expectation that you stop and chat with everybody you see that you know um, in the grocery store or at the post office or wherever. So, uh, so that was a, a big difference. But um, my experience with people back east was that they were, like, super friendly and super helpful. I mean, there's no, you'll get no more help than standing on the streets of New York. And if you just, like, stand there and say, I'm, I'm really lost, I need help, You'll have 10 people stop and help you and they'll walk you to the subway stand uh, stop that you need to go to. And, you know, you'll you'll get a lot of help if you really need help, you know, but otherwise people are busy. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, and, and as a fellow New Yorker, I, again, I, I can sympathize with 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 all those points. And and, you know, what, one thing I think that's a, it's amazing in your your transition. Uh, it's hard to believe it was 11 years. It literally feels like it could have been two years ago. Same How- here, though. Yeah. How, how, uh, uh, you know, I mean, what, what was part of the decision process for you guys as, as, as it relates to the move? Because the, and, and one of the things that always stood out to me relative to your sermons at St. Mark's, you know, you reminded me and, and for our listeners benefit, uh, I, I was born and raised a Catholic. I, I had a very close kindred spirit with the, uh, with the Jesuits and, 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 you know, really trying to deep dive on theology. And I always found your sermons, where it reminded me and brought me back to you know you know that kind of deep intellectual curiosity about about uh, about the church and its tenets. But the interesting thing is, I mean, you know, I would imagine that you probably face some criticism from folks back east saying, "Look, you've got this huge dense pond here in the tri-state area," and then to your point, you know, you move to this place where you know, as you you said, not only can you get a parking space, but you actually do have the the ability to have much deeper conversations with people that you wouldn't necessarily see in the tri-state area. Uh, and so, you know, what was what was the, some of the variables you were thinking about? Because again, you know, you're you're not you're, you're not a, and I say this hopefully as a friend, you're not a, uh, uh, you know, you, you are a city guy in in the Wine Valley, and and you know, what was part of that decision process? And also, how did you have to modulate your message, you know, to a different congregation based on some of the demographics that were there? Um, great questions, and and there's something you said in the midst of that that uh, made me think of something that I haven't thought about before, and that is um, the 
matter of having time to talk to people because um, that's a big part of discovery for me and being able to um, understand what I'm thinking about, understand what I'm what I'm seeing or or understanding is it arises out of conversations. And so I hadn't really put together that there is a much better opportunity for deep conversation here. And that is to say, too, uh, just in terms of larger culture and the way life is going these days, a lot of times people don't have time for conversation. And there's something that happens in terms of human connection, um, the life of a community, building a community, feeling like you're connected to a community that comes out of conversation. So, so the more general thing I'd, I'd just throw out there is that, yes, I have a better opportunity for conversation and what comes from it in terms of the connection and that that's something that I think people really need uh, more generally in, in life. And that's something to, to consider with modern life, like where do we all get our good conversations. Um, but to respond really more to your question, um, in coming here, I, I, I'd like to say that I really thought a lot about what I was, what choice I was making in coming here. The truth is, I had a few things in mind, and the rest of it just sort of happened. Um, I didn't focus on gee, I want to move to California. And back east, oftentimes, we had two responses uh, when we said we were moving here. One was, um, you know, just kind of being people being dumbstruck, like you're doing what? You can't do that. And then the other response was, wow, I always wanted to move to California. And we never wanted to move to California. We never really, <laughs> never crossed my mind that I moved to California. It was, um, I mean, I've lived in a number of different places and one thing just leads to the other and here you are. And that, that was a little bit of what happened here. I, I always trust that there's some larger movement going on. I don't feel like a puppet and being moved around like a marionette, you know, that idea of God, but I do have a sense that there are larger spiritual forces and larger um, energetic forces that are having impact on me and on all of us. Um, so I'm sure that there was a lot that I, I had no idea what I was doing. The, the truth of the matter is, I mean, in moving here, what, what attracted me to the place is um, that there, there were just a lot of challenges uh, in this parish at the time. And those are the things that drew me in. It, was, it wasn't so much uh, I want to live in a particular place, but I thought that the particular problems that the parish had um, were really interesting. And so that's what, that's what drew me here. Um, and because my area of specialty in, academically anyhow is an area called congregational development, which is you know, basically looking at the problems and you know, sort of innovative solutions to um, what's going wrong in a parish. So that's that's what I was most interested in. So you were in the vernacular of our industry. You were you were almost a um, almost a turnaround artist, or or uh, 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 you know this this was a, uh, a renovation project uh, in in some regards. Very much. I mean, that's 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 exactly what I had in mind, and 
and the one thing I'd say too, uh, sadly, is that like I'm not in that business anymore. Um, that um, <laughs> it, it kind of it kind of broke me on on that, and, and it, it kind of showed up the you know the fantasy of that. Like I I saw myself as a turnaround artist, and then you know a couple years into it, I thought, what have I done? Mm-hmm. You know, by getting myself to this place, and you know, this place is never going to sort out. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. I was, I was, I was really, uh, really disappointed in my, um, you know, my pride and thinking I was going to come here and be some great thing. Well, you, you, I, I won't let you get out of the the. I, 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 I'll, let me pull you back a little bit because I think to, to again, you, you deserve far more credit. And I think our, our listeners, when they have a chance to go up to San Inez to, to, to go to the parish, I think we'll, we'll see this themselves because part of the, part of the narrative that, that, that's there. And again, if we look at your, your tenure at, at, at the parish, I mean, you, you came into the community, as you said, the, the, uh, I think historically, you know, you were a, and again, I can sympathize with this where, you know, you were a city guy and, 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 um, clearly knew what you were doing and and you knew how to to uh you had an approach and a method to to you know addressing the issues that that, that were there and of concern to the community but at the same time randall i think the the other thing is that here you were where you already had a challenge in front of you as it existed and then on top of that what, what was it probably four four years into your tenure you have the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression uh, hit the world, and and I, I remember conversations we had over breakfast where where um, you know kind of <laughs> it was almost like an Irish wake where we were both laughing at the fact of of like yeah this is it it is this bad in 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 terms of what we're doing and you know and I and I wonder how 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 did how do you you know in in that community you know, the, the, and again, we could spend hours on some of the gut-wrenching stories about what, what that impact was, what that did to families and some of the decisions that folks had to make. Was that part of, of, you know, one, you're dealing with a turnaround situation, but two, you have this major systemic shock come in that, 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 you know, literally bankrupting people, wiping them out, forcing them to, you know, different decisions with their children. How did you reconcile to that? And, and did you have to modify anything? Because, and again, that was also a hard slog. That wasn't something within 12 months that things fixed. I mean, to a certain extent, people are still dealing with it today and, and it's 10 years after the fact. Yeah, exactly. And um, I'm sure a lot of your listeners um, who were, were and are very you know, deeply into the financial world knew um, as it was happening, how severe the crisis was. I think a lot of people who were, you know, just a few rings out from that, you know, things were happening and they kept happening and they kept happening. Um, but there wasn't a sense as the, as it was happening, how severe it was. And, mm-hmm. and all of that kind of, kind of came up, um, you know, like rising waters that all of a sudden it's like, Oh, you know, it's this deep. I yeah. mean, this is where we are. And, um, and so, yeah, the whole, I mean, we moved here in October of uh, 2008, you know, and, um, and, you know, it's just kind of, um, it was, it was, it was like, oh yeah, there's, there are all these, you know, bad things happening, but the the sense of how that was going to impact individuals and how, how people were going to, um, um, I mean, just 
you know, what was going to happen and how that would radiate down to the parish church. I mean, um, like one day we had, we have a, a incredibly uh, skilled and gifted uh, business manager here. And she came over to my office and she said, you know, I just want you to know that we have um, around $37 in the operating account. <laughs> <That's crazy. laughs> and I, I just laughed, you know, because, I mean, we have, you know, preschool, we have teachers, we have, you know, musicians, we have, you know, I mean, you know, there's payroll, there's, you know, everything that you, that you'd expect. I mean, you know, utilities, bills, and all this sort of thing. And I just laughed. And I said, well, like, if you told me yesterday, well, we'd have $48, you know, um, and, um, and I said, well, what normally happens? Because it was so early in my tenure here, I didn't, I said, well, what normally happens when that kind of thing comes about? And she said, oh, well, normally the, the rector, the priest goes around and asks people for money. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, and, and that's the problem with, again, to me, systemically, that just sounded like a, a Band-Aid. And I said, um, well, I, I'm not going to do that, but th this Sunday I'm going to sit people down after service and we'll you know, I'm going to let them know that there's $37 in the operating account. Said, oh, oh, we never let people know that. I said, well, now, we have, now we're going to let them know, you know. So, um, and it was interesting because people, you know, it's, and again, here's kind of the general thing. Uh, there are a lot of things you can solve in a group of people that you can't solve by yourself. And, yeah. um, and it, I mean, incredibly resourceful people. And, and you expect that some people, um, are resourceful, but then there's always the surprise of how many people are resourceful when stressed, you know, and when put in a challenge situation. And so a lot of people had a lot of great ideas. And then, of course, I mean, just the thing of a lot of people said, oh, well, you know, if I'd known that, I would have given more money. It's kind of like, okay, well, go ahead, you mm -hmm, know? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so, so it, that came about. And then a lot of other things changed, obviously, in terms of how how we're going around being who we are as a church um and so yeah i mean it's it, the financial profiles you know dramatically different these days but um but it took a it it took a lot of openness and takes a lot of people working together to make these things happen for i mean for the faith community but more importantly for the wider community that's um i mean to me the value of of, of a church any church is what it does and gives to the to the wider community. Um, the thing that I've always said, and I think the thing that that most drew um, the lay leaders in the parish to me, though I don't think they understood all the implications at the time, was I, I've always said, and I keep saying, the church is a public, not a private institution, mm. and you know that it exists for the world. And uh, it does not exist for itself. It is the purpose of it is not to be a little holy club. And um, the agenda for the church really needs to be set by the wider community. Um, instead of the church saying, oh, this is how you should live your life. This is what you should do. This is who you should be. The church now really has to be in a position of saying to the community, what do you need? Who do you want us to be? What do you want us to do? And, um, and so as that, you know, gradually turned around, and again, I think the lay leaders and lay, lay people here 
wanted that. I mean, that was kind of where their hearts were. And if you look back in the DNA of this particular parachurch, that's who started this church. They were people who initially formed the community, who cared about the community, who cared about the character of the community, what it was able to do. And so that's what it, that's what it's doing today. It's, it's really most concerned about how everybody gets served, you know, so the things that we're involved in are, you know, we're not so much doing Bible study. We're more doing community kitchen, mm-hmm. um, you know, because, because there's uh, surprisingly in an agricultural area and where food is just such an important thing in terms of, you know, daily life here, um, lots of foodies, lots of, you know, winemakers and so on. And just that whole food culture that's around here, but a huge percentage of people are food insecure. They don't know where their next meal is coming from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're addressing. Um, and, and a lot of the incredible chefs we have and the people who are working in agriculture in this area are gathered around this community kitchen, offering different programs and teaching and, and helping people move from food insecurity to, you know, having a better uh better and more reliable stream of, of available food. And some of that is, you know, learning how to, learning how to cook, you know, and instead of relying on prepared foods or fast food, you know, doing, you know, doing your own cooking, which is more nutritious anyhow. So uh, anyhow, so those are the kinds of things that we care about. We care about like what matters to the, the world around us. Well, you, 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 uh, and earlier, you, I, I think going back to the the kind of open door in, inclusionary aspect of what was there, the the important thing for our listeners to understand is that the the I think San Inez on the face of it was always popularized by the movie Sideways, so everybody always thinks San Inez Pinot Noir, but the the community is incredibly diverse in in in, in the context of of a, the, the people that are there and. Uh, and and I think one of the things that you did, which which was extraordinary, was to your point, the I think the expectation or the reflex may have been more of a ring fencing and and you know let's to, to your point let's just raise some money and focus on solving the problem. But you know you you actually inculcated a a behavior change and and you know there there are certain things you did in terms of events that were inclusionary you know the the uh, wine auction in particular stands out where you were you were able to address the issue but you you a brought the community into it and b you created a behavior that continued from from that it wasn't just to your point it wasn't a band-aid it, it was something that that the, the community became a behavior and, and, and repetitive uh which i which i think is incredible and, and to your point if you look at um the attendance and some of the the you know if you look at the, the folks who were attending service when you first started and you know if you broke it out by ages gender occupation uh it's 180 degrees away from from where it is today i mean i think it's extraordinary what you've done there well yeah and, and of course there, again there are a lot of people who are involved in and you know my job like you know the job of any leader is to you know gather people and to equip them and to enable them to be you know the best version of themselves but also to you know certainly to cast a vision and to you know, be plain speaking, try to communicate as clearly as possible. Um, but yeah, we started, um, I mean, to me, there, I mean, there are a couple levels of open doors. Um, 
one one level is literally having the door standing open, which certainly in this environment, it's easy to have the door standing open. When I was in New Jersey, I felt the same way. And you couldn't really have the door standing open, you know, during a lot of the winter, certainly, and even during a lot mm -hmm. of the summer, which is, you know, super humid and difficult. Um, you know, so we so we replaced the doors there with glass doors so you could at least see in and the doors were unlocked. And there mm -hmm. was a, a sign that said, you know, these doors are open. And um, I mean, the sign that we have in front of the church here right now is um, these doors are open for people of all faiths and none. And, um, and <laughs> I think it says, please come in, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, so the, the point is that, you know, we're not, no church, no matter what they think is going to happen, but no church is diminished. Um, it, in fact, that they become what they're supposed to be, you know, when people of, uh, other faiths or, uh, who would say that they have no faith, uh, come in, you know, because that's, that's the world. That's the world that, I mean, that John 316 that is on, uh, you know, people hold that verse up on signs and football stadiums. Um, but it says, you know, God so loved the world. Um, it didn't, it didn't say, it doesn't say in the scripture, it doesn't say that God so loved the church or God so loved Christians or whatever, you know, it, it, it said God so loved, so loved the world. And, and, you know, God still loves the world and all of the world, not religious people more than non-religious people, not people who have a certain, you know, idea in their head in terms of, you know, somebody's idea of dogma or doctrine or, or, you know, one faith or the other faith. Um, God, God, I mean, one of, one of the people that I spend a lot of time paying attention to is uh, a teacher who's in Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, whose name is Father Richard Rohr, who's a, a Roman Catholic uh, Franciscan. Um, and the thing that he says is there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There is nothing you can do to make God love you less. Mm. Um, that there's no pandering after God. There's no um, trying to buy God off with certain behaviors or religious rituals or um, God, God is, God is God, you know, God is bigger than all of that. Um, and all of that smallness that a lot of people reject when they reject religion um, is very much in my mind, you know, sort of a human uh um, attempt to control God and to control the presence of God and, um, and, you know, maybe well-intended, uh, you know, in some cases, a lot of it is very much related to the institutional life of the church, which is uh, crumbling, even as we speak, whether speaking in of the Roman Catholic Church or, you know, any of the um, Protestant churches, whether mainline, um, a lot of the fundamentalist or evangelical churches feel like they have an edge. Um, but in reality, people are, um, you know, questioning those churches as much as any. So, um, but, you know, again, none of this affects God. I mean, God, God still loves the world with or without churches or with or without other expressions of organized religion. Um, and, um, 
I mean, the, the truth is a, a faith community, a, a group of people who are committed uh, to one another, committed to God, committed to uh, changing the world, making the world a better place, can make a big difference and can make a uh, can really make huge contributions. Um, but you know, sometimes the institutions, as institutions, have you know caused more harm than good, and you know really gotten in the way of things. Um, so a lot of that's changing. I mean, there's massive, massive change happening in uh, basically anything that has been understood as organized religion in the past. Let, 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 let's expand on that because the you're bringing up a, a, a very good point. I mean, we were, you know, these institutions were critical and and were assumed to to be there. Now, uh, you know, they're they're being challenged on so many fronts. Uh, to, to you know, where where does that put someone? Where where at the end of the day do they go? And and how how do they process, reflect? And, and, you know, how do they, they, do they move on? Do they, do they try to fix the institution? I mean, what, what do you say to the person today trying to, and again, we can use the Roman Catholic Church, you know, that's, how do they reconcile to that and, and where do they go? Um, big, uh, big question, uh, no one answer to that. And a lot of that is, is uh, sorting out. So, Again, one thing I, I would just say is, that, I mean, it's a really interesting, really exciting time to be in and around the church, especially like mainline churches and the Roman Catholic Church, because basically everything has been called into question recently. And there's an enormous freedom, um, and I, for lack of a better term at the moment, I'll just say there's an enormous freedom for the spirit for the and in within Christianity we would call it the Holy Spirit um, to to be uh, to be who the Spirit is and 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 for God to be who God is um, that there's a lot less restriction by very controlling inst- institutions um, to you know sort of tamp down the the movement of the spirit and God's movement in the world. Um, so, so it's a pretty exciting time and, and how that communicates to people, um, like in, in groups of people, um, there are just huge conversations going on and, 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 um, and really interesting and really engaging conversations about, how how do we actually experience God in the world? Not so much, you know, do we think the right things about God, but are we experiencing God as we move around, as we as we move through through this world? Are are we from day to day and moment to moment experiencing this presence of the divine, of the sacred, of the holy, um, and? And a lot of conversations are moving way beyond uh, certainly denominational lines within Christianity and certainly also in a very vibrant way across faith lines. Um, And so there there are very rich uh, shared experiences among Buddhists and Christians, uh, among Jews, Christians, and even in some areas, um, I mean, the thing that I think we're all aware of is that that, 
there's a very conservatizing element that has arisen and sort of taken Islam hostage. Uh, but you know, there there used to be uh, very moderate elements of Islam and uh, very intelligent. If you look back through the history, you know, Islam was uh, always um, you know equated with an advance of civilization. And mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. right right now, it's you know, it, it's just a really sad time uh, for Islam. But but there are still people. Uh, within uh, coming out of you know Islamic tradition, who are having and are engaging in these broader interfaith conversations. So I guess my point is that uh, that there's an uh, there's a, a wider understanding of who God is, what God is, and you know not a narrow, not a rigid um, uh, concept of you know God is only what I understand God to be or my God you know, the God of Christianity is the right one and the God of Judaism is the wrong one, you know, or whatever. Um, so, and you see the shadow side of all of this too. I'm not saying that, you know, we're living in this Nirvana age. It's certainly not that. I mean, there's this, you know, where there's, where human consciousness is exploding and, you know, moving higher and higher and into more, you know, open realms at the same time, the shadow is very much there, and we see the terrorism, the violence, the nonsensical, you know, destruction of um, of the creation of um, you know human lives of human communities. Um, so you see very much both things. So I, I would just, I mean, some people just aren't aware that there is this you know sort of explosion of human consciousness in the area of spirituality and. And um, what might have been called at one time religion, you know, mm-hmm. in a very, I mean, where was that sort of a narrow thing, but it's, there's a, there's a very broad understanding of it. Um, what, just one example of that out of Christianity is um, in March, uh, and again, back to Father Richard Rohr um, issued, and he's written maybe, I don't know how many books he's written, maybe 30 or something. Uh, but um, his most recent book and possibly his last book, because his health isn't very good, uh, but is called The Universal Christ. Mm. And um, and if anyone dipped into that book, um, and there's a website that goes with it that has a lot of resource on it, and there's a podcast related to it, but if you look at Universal Christ, um, or look at the Center for Action and Contemplation, which, again, I don't have anything to do with that. It's just that that's where his work is um, is um, is available. But to you see in that context um, just uh, how how broad, how open the that movement is is becoming these days. Well, you know, there's a great quote um, by by the, the monk uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, where uh, the Vietnamese monk, where he 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 refers to you know Buddhism as a practice. He said it's not a religion, and and right. you know, and some of his the, his most respected friends and colleagues are are you know religious figures you know who meditate. But his point is that Buddhism is just a practice. It, it it's not espousing any type of of, of uh, you know, doctrine. And, 
and and I think to your point, you you I it, it's fascinating out here in Asia to see kind of that congealing of of religions. And w- one thing I I I'd, I'd want to go back to because I think you're, you're hitting on a really really important theme, and you alluded to it earlier, where um, in the subtlety of saying the ability in in San Inez to get a parking spot, and when you you look at you know human beings by nature are social animals and they they need to be around other people and is is part of that you know to your your last point in terms of that that kind of expansive consciousness that's coming you know even technology i mean today you don't even have to leave your living room to to have a social experience with people but the question i i would ask is is it really a function of back to that core simplicity of we, you know, it is a community. That community isn't a a, a separate technical interaction where where you need to, you know. And again, going back to you look at the crisis, which is probably the best example of people in a moment of pure fear, pure terror, dealing with something that they didn't know what to do. But it was the people getting together in a room, talking, muddling their way through to a great solution, and. You know, and I, I go back to your point on uh, El Rancho, which for our listeners is a great market in San Inez. But, you know, part of going to El Rancho, even though you might be going there to get a container of orange juice, is that you knew you would spend 45 minutes to an hour bumping into everybody you knew, getting caught up, where where the reality is you could call a delivery service from the benefit of your living room and get the orange juice. And, you know, and so what what's missing in this? Because I on the one hand, it seems like it's very obvious that that we we all need one another and we need to recognize we need one another. Yet at the same time, there's these disincentives to actually do that, you know, where like even here, you and I are communicating. We're roughly 12,000 some odd miles away from one another. Uh, and I am looking forward to seeing and getting together with you this summer and having pancakes again. But you know, society almost makes it too easy to actually compartmentalize and separate this stuff when actually that's counterintuitive. That's actually maybe what you should not be doing. Right. Yeah. It's, it, it is, it's, a, it's a weird blend. I mean, because um, on one side, you know, one could easily say, okay, well, you know, I'm going to you know, step away from technology. I'm not going to engage in, um, you know, social media or whatever. And, and, there's something to be said for that. And I think there is, I mean, a lot of people are, you know, obviously there are so many questions being raised right now about social media and about how technology is being used. And, and just as a reminder, I mean, especially for those of us who use technology all the time, and that would include in ways, I mean, in far more sophisticated ways for a lot of your listeners than, than what I do, but, you know, I'm, you know, I have at least one screen, sometimes, you know, five or six screens in front of me all the time when I'm working and, um, and, you know, it's just sort of our life. So, so we, so on one side we, we think, Oh, well, here's this established aspect of reality, which is called technology. When in fact, I mean, the thing, I I mean, I was, I was, you know, one of the cool kids on campus when I went to college because (laughs) I went to, I went to college with an electric typewriter, not a manual typewriter, (laughs) you know, and, and and in the, just in the span of my you know life, like all of this has come up. So all of this stuff that you know, where people are looking and saying, "Oh, gee, we didn't know it had these security you know vulnerabilities," or we didn't know that that you know you could take something you know 
fun and nice like Facebook and turn it into, you know, like scuttling you know, a whole country, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, election process or whatever. <laughs> I didn't know you could do that. You know, it's like, well, of course you didn't know you could do that because it's brand new. You know, it yep. just happened. I mean, in terms of in terms of the sweep of time, we have no idea what it does. And um, and yet we feel like, oh, well, here it is. We know what it is. We don't know what it is. We have no idea what it is. Um, and so in the process of that, and especially, you know, with, and I think it probably did, at least for, you know, maybe people in the West or especially um, U.S. Americans, um, one of the terms I love that one of my friends introduced to me, um, <laughs> U.S. Americans. Like um, yeah. Um, that, um that I think it did begin with the 2008, you know, financial crisis, but there have been so many instances since then that are terrorism, that are, you know, sh you know, shootings, um, whether school shootings, workplace shootings, whatever, um, that, that so many things that we used to rely on, you know, we really don't rely on. And then, you know, why are we shocked that, you know, technology is letting us down, that people are, using our data in ways that we didn't expect and you know so it just creates this whole experience of insecurity of instability um there's nothing to rely on and so on and so i think a lot of people are at the same time saying i'm going to refocus at least some element of my life on something that is 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 more reliable more at the core and that's not going to be an idea about God, some theory about God, which is what doctrine and dogma are in religious contexts. People are saying, I don't need an idea. Don't talk to me about ideas about God. I want actual God. I mean, hmm. I want an actual experience of the holy. I want to know that I want to know that presence. And so especially, again, in that larger interface um, context where there is so much uh, blending and sharing from one tradition to another. And contemplative life has always been part of Christianity, but it was really with um, becoming more acquainted with Eastern traditions and the, the contemplative or meditative um, experience in Eastern traditions that Christianity said, wait, 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 I think we can do this too. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and, 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 but even in my case, like take somebody like me, so I'm a priest in a mainline church, um, you know, in the Episcopal church, but, um, there's a Zen Sangha down at Isla Vista and I happen to, you know, meet the, the priest, the, the Zen priest who was, um, leading or stewarding that that sangha and she invited me to come in and be part of it you know so i started meditating with that that group um in you know within the zen tradition um i'd have to say that what i was experiencing was um it felt fresh it felt like a different um take on um on a relationship i already had you know that that mm -hmm. that that, that it, it, it wasn't like, oh, here's a different God. You know, it was like, oh, here's like a different way of seeing or experiencing the God who is God. And, um, and um, but there was nothing in, in really any of the language. I mean, it emphasized, you know, maybe different concepts, if, you know, to the extent that concepts were part of it. 
but things that resonated very much, you know, with my, um, you know, spiritual life within Anglicanism mm-hmm. um, and within Christianity. So uh, anyhow, so so the thing I would say that that very much characterizes um, this um, current movement toward a higher level of of human consciousness is contemplative practice. And um, you can look at anything. I mean, one, just one app. So here's a blending of the two things we were just talking about. Uh, Look at one app, which is Headspace. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, like the explosion of users using that one app globally, um, where, and, the the guy who's behind it, um, his name is escaping me. His first name is Andy, yep. but I can't remember his yep. last name. Uh, but um, but he he was nurtured. I mean, I think he's British. He he was nurtured. Um, um, I think in India. In uh, so let's let's just say I don't actually have all the the details and facts of his life, but I, he he very much was was nurtured you know, rather deeply in in a in the Zen tradition mm-hmm. or Zen Buddhist tradition. And so but then he's kind of backed out of he's not so much he's not offering a, a religious or a or a, a you know sort of a dogmatic approach, but he's offering a, a very general, you know, sort of mindfulness version of uh Zen meditation, but makes is has made it very um accessible. Um in a in a very broad way and and people know they need that kind of a contemplative grounding for their lives like i need to have some concept of who i am in relation to reality so mm-hmm. large you know capital r reality you mm-hmm. can call it god you can call it reality you can call it you know any number of things you can call it nature you can call it um you know, the sacred, the divine, you can call it whatever you want to call it. And it, it really doesn't matter. But, you know, that I, I can't remember which of the theologians, uh, was it Ronner, who used to call it the the ground of our being. Uh, that may be wrong. Sorry mm-hmm. for the That's few who are more theologically astute. Uh, but um, um, in, you know, within the 12 step programs, you know, the higher power. Um, but um, but people want to be in um, direct contact with that. And, and about the only way to do that is through, you know, some sort of contemplative practice. You know, so the other thing, the, the word that you just, that, that you were, you know, sort of highlighting in speaking of Thich Nhat Hanh is practice. And, and I'd say practice is maybe the most important aspect of Christianity, of any, um, any religion that people want to know, you know, not so much what's our theory, it's what do we do? What do we mm-hmm. do in, in this, you know, to, to, to come in contact with the holy? And then the other piece of it, frankly, is how do I express this in the world? You know, like what, where does this take us? Uh, what action do we engage in as a result? of having come in contact with the ground of our being, with mm-hmm. our higher power. And, um, you know, people are not getting off the hook with, okay, well, I'll go 
to church on Sunday and then I'll go and just do whatever I do. You know, they want to know how does what I do, how I live come from, you know, whatever practice I'm engaging in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, all of that I think is good. And, 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 you know, you don't, you don't need a big heavily controlling um, institution for that. And in fact, you know, the, I mean, institutions like religious institutions are like all institutions, whether they're universities or corporations or, or governments, um, you know, they're all replicating themselves. You know, they're, they're like, how do we continue as an institution? That's our interest. And for most people in the world, that's not our interest. You know, like I, I have no, no enduring interest in in um, um, a lot of these institutions as institutions surviving for their own sake. But I have a lot of interest in, you know, the world and in, um, you know, communities of people um, being vibrant and being vital. And, you know, so to the extent that the institution doesn't support actual communities of people, that's where where institutions are going to fail, where institutions are adapting and saying, okay, I want this institution to serve actual people who live in the actual world. Um, Those institutions are going to thrive and become stronger because they they know what they're about um, and they're going to have support. Um, So, and I think that's the answer too. like, well, what about my synagogue or what about you know, my church or whatever, what's going to happen to that? Well, the ones that are connected to the community and making a difference, they're going to survive and thrive. The ones that are serving themselves and are kind of insular, they're going to close and they're going to become, you know, coffee shops and bookstores and condos and things <laughs> like that. Well, you know, and, and, and to your earlier point, um, you know, it's interesting. I, I had the, the uh, it's an interesting I'll use this as a comparison, but the other day, my son, who's, you know, normal, impetuous teenager, and and uh, we were in a situation where where uh, he found himself speaking Mandarin almost on reflex. And, you know, here I am as his dad. And, and again, I realize it's somewhat awkward to compare my experience with my son to a religious experience. But when you think about it in the context of people's relationship with God, I hear, here I was in a position where, you know, here was someone who I knew through repetition and behavior, uh, all of a sudden doing something completely different, which was nuanced and completely, you know, exponentially expanded my appreciation of him, you know, in terms of where he is. And I think people... Today, you know, in the context of the infinite, you know, they their experience of God is unlimited. So, you know, you know what you're saying is it might not be through the front door; it might be through the side doors or the back, and and that that is not a static process. It's it's dynamic. You 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 very much are on a journey, and you and I with with, with our partners. I I know one of the things that that that, that I find myself saying with uh, with my wife is that. You know, it's uh, she's the every day I'm reading a chapter of a book that I'm never going to finish. There's something else that'll come up where it'll be slightly nuanced and it enhances the the experience. The key is you got to keep reading. You got to keep moving yeah. through that book. You can't be stuck on on chapter two. And forgive me, I'm going to ask you a a loaded question, and 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 I'll have this be the the last question because I I uh, as I'm looking at my notes, I I, I we we could easily spend. Um, uh, especially on this point of contemplative practice, uh, 
quite a bit, but let, let me ask you a loaded question. I'm going to share with you a secret. So we had friends of ours, even when we were here in Singapore, that were coming up to Los Olivos, uh, which, is a, which is a town within San Inez Valley. And so in addition to the wine tasting, we said, hey, you've got to go to the, the, the parish at St. Mark's and, you know, you've got to make it a point to, to hear Father Randall's sermons. And, you know, and these guys being city folks and pretty hard city folks, um, you know, their, their concern was, I don't want to be talked to. And, and, you know, they just didn't want to go there, you know, because, again, they came in with all these preconceived assumptions. And uh, and again, I'm saying this as a friend, you know, now now that you and I are slightly older uh, relative to, to, to when we first met, their experience of you is interesting because the, the point that they made, and I've never shared this with you, so I apologize, this is slightly unfair, but they said you weren't giving them a solution per se, like, a, you know, to, to achieve, you know, as you said, the experience of God, you know, you need to do ABC, but they found themselves coming away from it where you were asking them questions. And those questions were more subjective to each of them in terms of their, you know, their reaction and interpretation of what you were asking. So the the question I have for you, and again, I apologize as a, as a last question, it's somewhat loaded, but, you know, is A, is that by design? You know, are, are you now at a point in your practice where it's a function where you, you're saying to folks, hey, I might not necessarily have the answers, but I can at least get you on the road and I can point you in the right direction on that road. And there might be different merchants along the side of the road. Uh, and it's up to you which ones you choose to listen to and, and partake in. But I can get you on that road. And then the second thing is, uh, again, you and I both being young whippersnappers. Is there a next goal for you? You know, are, are you thinking that, you know, what, what's the next iteration of, of, of your journey as, as part of your practice? Is, is there a point where you say, OK, I've done it and, you know, I'll go, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've hit my objective? Or for you personally, is this now a function via the parish of, of pushing that out? And or do you, you know, is there an end point or does this never end for you in, in the context of what's there? Yeah, those are um, I, just as I start at the end of that, uh, I feel like it's just constantly opening up, and um, and there are more questions than answers these days. If on one level, I mean, certainly um, in terms of um, how I approach a day, um, it's not. I I never really think, oh, I have to get out there and make certain people think certain things in a certain way to me um it's it is so much more being available to to become awakened to 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 pay attention to what's going on around me and again i mean that process is so much uh more um vibrant so much richer with a group of people so i love journeying with a large group of people people i know well people i don't know hardly at all people who are strangers that i've just met and that's actually one of the benefits of what we're doing here i mean we have about oh I'd say 100, 110 um, outside organizations and groups that are meeting here now. Um, a lot of those are, um, I mean, we have a lot of arts organizations, a lot of organizations that are focused on different aspects of social service and so on. 
but it means that they're and then you know then we just have the doors open too so there so being in a town where there are a lot of you know visitors tourists um people are just coming by we have our restrooms open which draws a lot of people into the context so there there are lots of people around all the time and to have conversation with and to learn from and just learn about their lives or hear about their lives and um and then i'm i'm still doing lots and lots of reading and um so i, I guess my you know where my mind is is constantly expanding but i'm much less inclined to be seeking answers as to simply become alive aware awake to what to the the vastness of what's going on around me and and i would say that that just what you're saying about spencer and 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 you know i i love that you know that 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 you can look at um uh at your son and and everything that you've maybe expected him to be or or thought he would be as he grew up but mandarin speaking was probably not one of them <laughs> on the on, on the day of his birth you know and and then also like you just look at him it's kind of like that's not his language it's kind of like, well yeah but but it is you know yeah. it is and and um and you, and i mean that's the thing that i think is so one of the things that is so beautiful about this world if we're ready to see all of it all of it all of it all of it as god you know not some little shrunken head version of god that you might find you know in a in a old fashioned traditional church or mosque or synagogue or or temple but rather realizing that absolutely everything is is the life of God around us mm -hmm. and um and so so if that's what it is you know then it's a matter of just how awake can I be to it how aware can I be of of what's happening around me and I love that um that idea of, of the book that that it's it's never gonna we're never gonna be done with this you know mm -hmm. there's gonna be another chapter there's gonna be some aspect of it that I want to reread. And when I reread it, I see something I didn't see before, you know, that's going to be constantly unfolding. And so, yeah, that's very much the way I see my life and in, in, in my work right now. I, I did take a sabbatical in 2017 where I was away for three months and I mostly traveled. I was on the Camino de Santiago and, and around Europe some, and then took a big road trip all around the United States and saw a lot of people and did things I uh had sort of planned to do to and some of them were family things and so on but just kind of being all around the whole country and um and during that time i was i was thinking well you know when am i going to retire what am i going to do next and things like that and as i was doing it i was i was realizing that a lot of what i do every day is I thought, well, if I retired, you know, I'd want to do this and this and this and this, which is exactly what I'm doing right now. Mm -hmm. Except I'd have to go, I'd have to go look for, you right. know, for an opportunity to do it, you know? So like, why not just keep doing it? You know, like, this is what I want to be. This is what I want to do. These are the relationships I want to have. These are the connections in the community that I want to have. And um, so I'm, you know, I don't, I don't really, I, I mean, I see change constantly in terms of, how I view things and what my connections are and what my relationships are. And, and, um, 
so I so I see that changing, but but not so much, you know, throwing this all over to go do something else entirely. Um, and um, I don't know, there's, there's, but I think for all of us in whatever context we're in, there's a lot more richness and there's a lot more possibility than we, you know, typically know even from day to day that if we, and that's, again, that's a, that's a great aspect of contemplative practice that, that one stops and, and kind of breathes into this reality and, and, and it helps us have a, a habit of being awake to what's happening right now. And it's always vastly more than what we might expect. And it's certainly more than, you know, some of the craziness that just goes on in our minds with our, you know, the way our thoughts just kind of run in circles a lot of the time. And, you know, we have these habitual thoughts and habitual, um, you know, little bigotries and things that we carry around. Um, But I think the way out of, a lot of that and opening up to what is, is through contemplative practice as a, as a base, you know, to every day. And then, you know, then as, um, as, as you were saying, I mean, then, you know, the, the story becomes richer and richer and richer and larger and larger and larger. Well, we, we, I, I can say with a very, very high degree of confidence, I think we just uh, we just had one of the most, if not the most, illuminating podcast. And I, I have a feeling this is going to, in a good way, raise more questions and and uh, uh, interaction than, than we've seen before. And, uh, and we've also managed to do this without, at any point, really uh, talking politics, which I think is fantastic. <laughs> and so... Uh, Father Randall, thank you so much again for your time today and, and for folks who are in California and, and are in Santa Inez in the town of Los Olivos. You, you've seen uh, Santa Inez in the movie Sideways. Uh, Father Randall uh, is at St. Mark's Parish in, in Los Olivos in Santa Inez. And, and the sermons, uh, not sermons, excuse me, the services, what is it, 9, 10, and 5 on Sundays? Oh, well, right, right now... Um in the summertime where we have a little different schedule just so we're not kind of Johnny one note doing one thing all the time. Um, so in the summer we, we change it up. We have 9am service in the morning and a 5pm service. The 5pm service happens every single Sunday, um, after Labor Day or so in the fall and, uh, winter, the program year here, it's 8am, 10am and 5pm. So we're uh, we're in Santa Barbara County, so you have to come up over the hill out of Santa Barbara and up into the San Inez Valley, and we'd love to see anybody who's in the area for sure. Perfect. And and the book that you recommended earlier, if if I have it correctly, that was the Universal Christ. Yes, uh, by Richard Rohr, R O H R, the Universal Christ. Perfect. Well, Father Randall, again, big hug and kiss to everyone. We, uh, from our family to yours, we're really excited to see everyone this summer. So we're, we're uh, planning to be out there in just a few weeks. And for our listeners, again, thank you so much for tuning in today to Unhedged and our interview with Father Randall from St. Mark's Parish in San Inez. And sir, I'm looking forward to our next breakfast of pancakes. Looking forward to that before long. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be one of the highlights of the summer. <laughs> Father Randall, again, great talking with you. And uh, for our listeners, have a great week and weekend, and we'll talk to you all soon. Take care. Thanks.